Good morning, everyone. On the line with me is U.S. Senate candidate Kelly Shabaka. Good morning. Good morning. It's so great to be with you, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you for accepting to be on. I believe this is the first time, though, we've had you on, Kelly. Why don't we start with your background? Where are you from? Well, I'm born and raised in Wasilla and Anchorage, but the background story is my parents moved up here from California looking for a new start. It didn't turn out that way. They ended up being homeless in Anchorage until my mom, with a high school degree, was able to get a job at the Slope, and that changed everything for them. They fought their way into the working class, got a mobile home, got a starter home, gave birth to me, and I got to be the first in our family to pursue a college degree. I started at UAA. I worked for Senator Ted Stevens. He encouraged me to go to law school. That's where I met and married my amazing husband, Nikki Chewbacca. That's where I get my last name. He's the son of an African immigrant, and together we have five amazing kids. And their uh, age is now 8 to 18. My oldest just graduated and is now in college. That's interesting. So slope work had brought your family up here then, huh? Well, I think the idea of having a, a new start and new opportunity, um, but then, you know, there's all this promise of oil work, and it just didn't turn out that way. I think my dad was the one who thought he was going to end up in the oil industry. He didn't. He ended up being a union electrician mm. his entire career. And But my mom was able to get a job up at the slope eventually. In the meantime, for months, they just picked up odds and ends jobs, you know, a little bit of maintenance work, a little bit of bookkeeping work. Um, but it wasn't enough to, to get um, – um, the ability to move into a home, you know, kind of like a lot of situations that I hear Alaskans talking about now. The, it's just really hard to get first month's rent and last month's rent or down payment for a house. Um, that's why they ended up living in a park for many months. Mm-hmm. Now, why run? What's the what's your drive to <laughs> run for office here, Kelly? Yeah, that's. That's exactly, you know, it all kind of traces back to that, that original story. So I, after law school, I ended up um, starting a first job that originally was just to, to get a job and start paying off law school loans, but it was um, helping to make government better and hold government accountable. I ended up at the Department of Justice in an office. These offices are in every federal agency but they expose waste, fraud, and abuse and hold government accountable, um, reduce regulations, cut costs. And I ended up coming across a case of um, Federal Bureau of Investigation and DOJ officials who were violently abusing Americans and violated their constitutional rights. The case was closed as they didn't do it, but my boss asked me to reinvestigate it, and it turns out they did do it, and it went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I really got hooked, Kevin. I realized if you don't have people in here who won't be bullied and bought by the system and the establishment, then government gets away with everything. And I really believe government's supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people. And so I've committed my career to this, to overseeing now, it's been 20 federal agencies from the DOD, the Coast Guard, Department of Energy, to coming home and doing this in Alaska. All of this is relevant because last year, when I saw our senior senator making some votes, to confirm radical nominees who shut down our energy industry and killed jobs that were just like the one my mom had, those aren't decisions that are for the people. And those, I took it real personal. Um, that was the kind of job that got my parents out of poverty. And those are the kind of jobs that help put food on the table and put a roof over people's head. 
And for me, it's not politics, it's personal. And I talk to people every day at their doorsteps. There's knocked thousands of doors at this point, me and my family. Um, they're having a hard time paying for gas and groceries right now. And these are all decisions that have been laid at the feet of our senior senator. And they're decisions that could go differently if we had a change in our leadership in D.C. And that's what got me in the race. It, it feels personal right now for so many Alaskans. I never thought I'd run for Senate, never dreamed of getting into politics. But I want a future for our state, a future for our children. I don't want us turned into a national park. And that's what motivated me. We owe a lot to Alaska, me and my family, and I want to fight for the people who fought for me. I see. So it comes back to that uh, feeling of uh, accountability that you had during your work life, which was yeah. uh, what exactly? You, you, you were overseeing federal agencies, and I didn't quite catch what exactly kind of job that was. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to explain it. Thanks for the follow-up. So I started out as the special assistant to the Inspector General of the Department of Justice. So I was overseeing all the agencies in DOJ. So that includes things like the FBI, the ATF, the Bureau of Prisons, the U.S. Marshal Service, the U.S. Attorney's Offices, anything under the DOJ. And then I moved over to help start the Director of National Intelligence after the 9-11 attacks. And that's all 17 at the time. There's now 18 intelligence community agencies. So that still includes the FBI, but it also includes all of the Department of Defense and the Coast Guard and the State Department and the Energy Department and the CIA and the NSA and all of these agencies that fall under anything that has to do with spies, terrorists, and weapons of mass destruction. And then I moved over to become the Acting Inspector General of the Federal Trade Commission. Um, at the DNI, I was the lawyer to the Inspector General, and then I was a civil liberties and privacy lawyer, um, doing the accountability for making sure the intelligence community wasn't violating our civil liberties and privacy. Then I became the Acting Inspector General of the Federal Trade Commission, and then I moved over to the Inspector General's Office of the Postal Service, and I was their chief data officer over there. Then I came home as a policy advisor to the governor and then quickly moved over to become the Department of Administration commissioner and oversaw all of the operations for the state of Alaska. So that includes the personnel, the IT, the accounting. Um, it includes the all the facilities and contracts for the state of Alaska, the public defender agency, the DMV, the internal court system that we have in the state of Alaska is kind of the hodgepodge of everything. So for example, during COVID, it was our job to make sure that while businesses were shutting down and schools were shutting down and cities were shutting down, we made sure the state of Alaska and all of our departments and agencies didn't shut down for a single day. That was our department's job. Kelly, I wanted to switch gears here to the campaign. I wanted to know how the trail's been. I saw you recently raised a million in fundraising these past couple weeks and also announced a driving tour. So how's the trail been? I love being on the campaign trail. My favorite part is getting to talk with and engage with many Alaskans. We've had town halls across the state and I've connected with over 65 communities at this point, sleeping on floors, been frostbit out in rural Alaska, and again, knocked on a couple thousand doors. Um, I was just down here in Homer today and knocked on doors in Homer. Well, we're going to start driving up the peninsula and I'll be knocking on doors in every community. Um, 
I am really happy also that at the end of this last quarter, which was just a couple of weeks ago, the national news is still reporting that the majority of our campaign is funded by grassroots Alaskans. And that just makes me um, really proud that Alaskans are still um, powering in this campaign and, um, and happy to support us. So thank you, everybody who's listening. We really appreciate all your support. We're doing this road tour. The, the, we're in a different place every day. We'll be doing this for two weeks, and we're heading up through the peninsula now and then heading up into the interior and through the interior, hitting all these rural communities so you can see everywhere that we'll be. If you want to, um, if you have friends in the area and you want to tell them where we're going to be, please have them join us. But what's really important to me is making sure to hear uh, what's in everybody's minds, meeting with leaders and different groups and entities, um, from the leaders of the city and the tribal leaders in those areas to make sure that when I'm senator, I can actually represent what are the needs in those communities. One of the things that I found interesting is you can read in the local media or policy papers that people send you, but it's totally different when you hear from the people there. I think I'm a better advocate when I carry stories personally in my heart. And that's why it's so important for me to go to these places and hear from people directly at their doors and from their mouths at the town hall, what's actually important to them. And that's why I'm putting in this kind of, this kind of work into the trail. And with that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back with U.S. Senate candidate Kelly Shabaka. From what you might be hearing from voters, I imagine housing might be one topic. And here in Southeast, we are facing a bit of a housing crunch. But what I'm hearing is that it's not a unique problem many other communities in the state are. So what would be your approach as senator to try to spur housing development in the state? You're absolutely right. This is not new. We absolutely need to prioritize affordable housing, and that's something I'll do as senator. Here are some of the solutions. We need help establishing neighborhood infrastructure. We need new roads. We need finances for utilities. The Biden administration decided that with the infrastructure bill, they're going to do no new roads. That was a memo put out by the Department of Transportation. That's what happens when you make deals with radical environmentalists. So we've got to change that narrative around, and that's something that Dan Sullivan's trying to do right now, and I would absolutely help him with that. We need more access to land. We have to get back millions of acres from the federal government that we were promised at statehood. For example, BLM has kept millions of acres locked up in public land orders that were supposed to be resolved shortly after NILCA. They have not been held accountable in the appropriations or the energy committees. I would absolutely prioritize that. I think we can give tax credits to people who own vacation rentals, and then they turn them into long-term rentals or purchases for Alaskans so that we can get more inventory on the market. We need to reduce the regulations that we're putting on to new home construction. Um, This is one of the things that I've heard from people who are in the industry, that there's just been more and more and more piled on, which jacks up the the price of new home construction and so it sort of deflates what we have on the market. Um, that's something that is in my background is looking at and reviewing regulations. We also need to look at the Native American Housing Assistance and Self-Determination Act funding that we have over at HUD that's been held flat for most of the last 20 years. We just slightly got a bump up, but it hasn't kept up with inflation. And so we need to fix the gross inequity in the funds that are available to Alaska there. And then finally, and you guys know this best, Um, We're always going to have a shortage of affordable homes and housing in Alaska when we don't have the the requisite timber production that we need. They're violating the law and they're violating their own regulations when they shut down logging in Alaska. 
And so we need to take that on and we need to hold the bureaucracy accountable. This happens to be my background. And these are some of the things I'd like to really champion for Alaska. Uh, I see. So you're, you're, you're referring to the roadless rule, right? It's not just the roadless rule. It's the, Tim, it's the Tongass Timber Production Act. And so they've got, they absolutely have, um, they have quantities that they're supposed to produce in the Tongass Timber Reform Act. They're supposed to supply timber from Tongass that meets the market demand. And yes, this is the roadless rule. But even if we had roads, it's been, you know, one of the original purposes for establishment of national forests was to produce a certain amount of timber. And historically, they have failed to approach performance goals for timber production. Um, so it goes beyond just the roadless rule. It goes to, na- to the national um, purpose for forests in the first place. But yes, the roadless rule is part of this. On a different kind of development uh, in Southeast, we have a handful of either operational mines or some trying to get off the ground. What do you see uh, that industry's role in all this? I, you mentioned Senator Sullivan, and he was trying to get some permitting reform going. Is that something you'd join him in? Absolutely. So the reason Senator Sullivan is championing permitting reform, he took to the floor of the Senate in June and then again in August to say the infrastructure bill was a bait and switch, and he fell for it and signed it. He said that the regulations that the Biden administration have piled on it are so high that we in Alaska will be lucky if we see a dollar of infrastructure money because they they pushed it through saying it was infrastructure and it actually was something else entirely and the regulations are there to, quote, kill all infrastructure. And so we need to do this regulatory reform and permitting reform so that we can get access to the money that we were supposed to get because without the infrastructure, our economy is obviously going to really suffer. And there is regulation and permitting reform we need to do. We, in Alaska, we need a significant permitting and regulatory review to make sure that we do our projects really well. And at the same time, there is a process in place to make sure that those projects can be done well and that we do our projects cleaner and greener than anywhere else in the world without the bureaucrats injecting a lot of extra cost and risk into our business process so that it isn't predictable and understandable and reliable and equitable like it should be. Business in America should be predictable, understandable, reliable, and equitable. And it shouldn't be like doing business in Venezuela. And right now it's become so unpredictable that many of our investors and our companies would rather go do business in places like the Middle East or Africa because it is a more stable business market. And the fact is I think all of us would rather have business done here, whether it's in mining or in other industries, because we're not doing things like engaging in human trafficking and human rights crimes or engaging in radical environmental pollution. And I think all of us Alaskans would prefer for work to be done here where we're, where we're obeying environmental standards and we're taking care of workers and their wages rather than doing it in other countries. And so there's a balance to be struck here, but that balance needs to be struck across both the executive and the legislative branch. And I think that's what we need to do. On another topic, I was hoping you could share with us your approach to budgeting, federal budgeting. What will be your focus when you're in office? So one thing that I think is important to remember, I worked with Ted Stevens on the Appropriations Committee. Ted Stevens made sure that we always had an appropriations bill out before the federal government started spending money. 
In the last 12 years, there has not been an appropriations bill passed on time except for once. And the further and further and further out we've gotten, like to present time, the more and more lax it's been so that they'll go an entire budgeting year without budgeting at all. They just hit continuing resolution, which means same budget as last year. This would be akin to any of us who have teenagers just handing their kid the allowance, same allowance as last week, and you never care how they spend it. You don't manage the curfew. You don't manage the allowance. You're just like, whatever. Pretty soon, you have a teenager who's out of control, and that's what's happening with the executive branch. The Supreme Court said as much this past year when they said the EPA is far exceeding and abusing its authority, and it's acting like Congress. And at some point, Congress has in the Constitution two things it can do in its power to rein in the executive branch. The one is budgeting authority, budget back the executive branch, and the other is in pulling back on the the statutory authority that these agencies have. I think one of the things we need to look at is pulling back on the excessive spending of the government so that we're not seeing this kind of inflationary spend that we have. When you go out and print, 40% of the currency in today's market has been printed, they say, in the last two years. The direct result is Alaskans can't pay for both gas and groceries this week. Many of the families I've talked to are in that, in that situation. When you go and you spend at these levels, senior citizens in Alaska don't have their retirements protected, and they can't make it through you know, all the hard work that they've done and they saved up for. They now can't make it to, through their, their retirement time. And so these are the things that government needs to really take seriously and be responsible for, is protecting senior citizens in their retirement, protecting Alaskans, so that they can pay for gas and groceries and heating their homes. So I think we need to stop spending at excessive rates, make sure that we take care of the parts that government's supposed to be, take care of. I don't believe in big government solutions. I really think government's supposed to um, play its role, and otherwise we're supposed to empower communities and individuals and states to take care of the rest. And so I would like to see us you know, take the Ted Stevens approach, get your appropriations done, get it out, and then otherwise... The 10th Amendment is really a, a forgotten amendment. What, doesn't, what isn't in the Constitution belongs to the state of Alaska and the people. And I really trust the people of Alaska to make a lot more decisions than I do the bureaucrats in a beltway 4,000 miles away. Now, Kelly, I believe we have time for one more question here. We saw this recent tourism uh, tourist season, and really this past summer, at least here in Juneau, the need for workers in Alaska. You were touching a little bit on this on the bigger sense in, this, in that we need to bring business here to Alaska, but what about the workers? What can we do to attract people to this state, do you think? Oh, I think that there's many things. So our, our new industries that we could do, I think one of the greatest things we have going for us is our geopolitical location on the globe, um, this I talked about this in Southeast. Um, one of the things that having worked in the national security community for over a decade, we have a great ability to position ourselves as the front of national security for the nation. We are closest, obviously, to Russia and North Korea and China and Indonesia, where many of our known and suspected terrorists are um, starting to build out that vision for building more ports and building up space and satellite and national security infrastructure would bring a lot of jobs to Alaska. I also think we're starting to build, and you guys know this really well, a new mariculture industry, new renewable energy industry. All of those things would be incredible. 
we also have great potential to build out IT infrastructure. I started talking with our major cloud service providers about this when I was the commissioner of administration, having run some IT divisions throughout government. They are a little bit capped out in what they can do with the cloud service provider locations throughout the United States. The biggest costs for those tend to be air conditioning and physical security. We have a lot we can offer in those two areas, both in interior and in western Alaska. And so we could become an IT hub for the United States as well. And I think that goes in really well with our national security posture. So I did a lot of uh, job growth even in my role as commissioner, or at least job diversification. We were able to make changes in policy and technology to make thousands of jobs available in rural and remote communities. And even that was able to help diversify the economy throughout Southeast. For example, I was able to hire my administrative services director to run my department of administration out of Kowak. And that worked great. To my knowledge, that's still working to this day. There's a lot of things that we can do through federal investment and changes in just how we perceive our economy in Alaska to diversify and expand. And I think that we'll, we, we will see big changes in that area, just thinking about Alaska differently. But like you said before, Kevin, the main thing we have to do is change permitting. And changing permitting will change definitely the investment culture in Alaska, and it'll get our resources up and running from from everything from our fishing to our uh, mining to our oil and gas industries and to logging, and that'll really help Southeast. Well, Kelly, we are out of time this morning. Is there anything you'd like to briefly add before we close? I would love to encourage everyone to go to kelly4ak.com. I think Dan Sullivan said it well on the floor of the Senate. He said, talking about the infrastructure bill, uh, who do you stand with? Do you stand with the American people, the families that are suffering and the workers that are being crushed? Or do you stand with Joe Biden, the radical environmentalist, and the special interests that have ties to this White House? And I really believe that's the decision that's before Alaska in just three weeks from today. Do we want to pick a senator who's going to stand with Alaska and who's funded by Alaska? Or are we going to pick the senator who's been standing with Joe Biden and who's been nominating these radical environmentalists and who's being funded with the special interest dark money from outside the United States or outside Alaska in the lower 48? Um, so thank you for your time. I'm at kellyforak.com, and I appreciate your vote. Please rank me number one on November 8th. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kelly. And uh, if nobody's told you yet, happy Alaska Day, by the way. Happy Alaska Day. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good Have rest a of your morning. Day. You too. Bye-bye. And that's the program. Thank you for tuning in this Alaska Day, October 18th. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line. Signing off.